Hi, I'm Dr. Dave Martin again. And in this particular episode, I want to talk about networking in the workplace and specifically the importance of building alliances. You know, I love to browse the Korean Herald. It's really my window to Korea. And I especially like to read the articles about corporate management leadership in Korea and compare them to how management leadership is alike and how it's different from those practices in North America. I recently ran across an article that actually led me to develop this particular podcast. This article talked about how Koreans seem to be so bright and promising when they first come into the company after college. They do a great job for about 10 years or so, but then they flame out when they're asked to step up and lead a team. Then the authors of this particular article gave some clues about why this happens. These bright people, they buy into this corporate myth that if they put their nose to the grindstone, they'll be rewarded for their individual efforts and management will move them up the corporate ladder. But putting their nose to the grindstone only works until they're first asked to step up and lead a team. Most people don't prepare for this moment, and often their first efforts are disastrous. Without being prepared, most people will fall into the easiest management mode, using their new authority to become a dictator. While easy to do, becoming a dictator will usually end up in severely limiting the individual's management career. Peers and subordinates will find them hard to work with, and upper management will quickly take notice of this. To them, to the upper management, it proves that these new managers are not prepared for further promotion. Then what happens? The promising career flames out because they never learn how to work with other people along the way. Why? Because they were too busy proving themselves by trying to excel only on their individual efforts. They may have gone even so far as to sabotage the efforts of other coworkers in order to get ahead. Now, in classes and seminars on leadership, we hear a lot about the importance of developing leadership skills. We talk about the importance of leading teams, getting others to perform, holding people accountable. But wait, Dave, I'm, I'm not in charge. How can I exercise any leadership skills? How do I prepare for success for that inevitable day where I will come and lead a team. Well, I have an answer for you. And the answer is a special type of network. It's called building alliances. And it's essential to build this type of network at work if you're going to have any chance at success in leading and inspiring teams of people. We hear a lot about the importance of building professional networks. We have many clubs that support professional and networking personnel such as Meetup Clubs, AmCham, Toastmasters, and so on. Many people work at building networks for their benefits in these clubs and will benefit to build these networks and build alliances outside of the workplace. But I'm here to tell you that building alliances in the workplace is probably one of the most important things that you can do to further your professional career no matter what career you find yourself in. If you work at building these special professional relationships, when the time comes to step up into a leadership role, it won't be a challenge and you'll be well-versed at practicing team building and collaboration techniques because you've been doing it for so long. Now, I learned about the importance of building alliances very early in my career as a military officer 
through a very disastrous experience I had at an officer leadership course that I had many years ago. I was a bright, eager first lieutenant who was sent to this officer leadership course very early in my career. In fact, way too early. When I got to the leadership course, I was only one of five lieutenants in a sea of 800 other captains, which was a higher rank. My particular group of 30 officers included only two lieutenants, and the other 28 were captains in our flight of officers. Each one of the officers in the flight was assigned a role within the unit in an effort to grow their leadership skills. So what was my role? I was the flight academic officer. In that role, I would be the officer ultimately responsible for the academic performance of the entire flight. I only had one very, very small problem. Almost none of the captains that were attending at this particular class were interested in how well they were doing in this particular leadership course. Most of them were there only because they felt like attendance was mandatory for their promotion to major. And at that time, that was probably a pretty accurate statement. As one of the captains so bluntly told me, Lieutenant, look, don't waste your time on trying to get us to study. We're only here to punch our tickets so we can get promoted. We're only interested in studying enough to pass a test and finish the course. That was a prevailing attitude of all the captains in my particular flight. Well, as you can well imagine, I was pretty flustered. I didn't have any experience dealing with higher-ranking officers at that point that exhibited such poor motivation. And even though I was only lieutenant, back at my base, I was in charge of 165 enlisted airmen, airmen who were taught to obey orders. While I didn't consider myself a harsh manager, in hindsight, I might have been. Because I was just so used to my enlisted folks following my orders, I never gave a thought to whether or not the orders were logical or rational. After all, it was the military. Enlisted men are expected to follow the orders of the superior officers. But here at the Air Force's squadron officer course, I was suddenly thrown in with a group of people that were my peers at best, and some of them clearly thought that they were better than I was only because they outranked me. However, it was my responsibility to try and find some way to motivate these people to study well so that the flight would perform reasonably well academically. As you can imagine, I failed miserably. There was really nothing that I could do in, in the three months that I was at this leadership course to convince any of these captains to take their academics seriously. And I had, at that point, no experience with trying to lead a group of peers. All my previous successes were in units where I was the leader that outranked everyone. So I didn't have any idea of how to build a personal alliance or personal alliance that would help ensure flight success. Well, as a result of the fact that no one cared, we finished 60th out of 62 flights. But as I reflect and have reflected on that disappointing experience, I realized that I needed to sharpen my networking skills. I needed to desperately work on understanding how alliances are built in the workplace. And I think I've done a pretty good job, and I'd like to share some of the things that I've learned along this journey. The first thing that you have to do before you can really start building alliances is you have to build your own expertise. Building 
expertise in any particular field is, again, as I said, one of the first steps that someone needs to take before they can build alliances. While I will gladly go out on my way to provide additional expertise to someone who needs my help, it wears on me if I begin to suspect that the reason they're coming to me all the time is because they're not competent to do the basics of the job. And in fact, after a while, I get annoyed at the constant request for help in areas where they should be competent. And I'll be real honest here. If the requests become overbearing, I will go out of my way to avoid the person altogether. What does this have to do with alliances? Simply this. If you want to build alliances at work, you're going to have to start being seen as competent in the basics of your chosen profession. Next, build social relationships. I learned the hard way about the importance of building social relationships at work. As soon as I enlisted into the Air Force, I too bought into that myth of being the best individual performer in the unit. So I wasn't worried about socializing with my fellow airmen. I only wanted to get the work done. Well, that philosophy seemed to work until I became the team leader of my unit. Because I had not learned how to socialize with people at work, I was seen as the office loner. And it made my job as the new supervisor very difficult and it did almost destroy my early career as a non-commissioned officer. Don't be that office loner. You may find yourself needing the help of your colleagues one day. If you have a reputation of being a loner in the organization, this help may be hard to come by. When making alliance choices, work on the reliability factor. When you're building alliances with your coworkers, it's important to differentiate between coworkers who are competent and those who are popular. It's been my experience that the person in the office who is the most popular can also be the most unreliable alliance that you might have in the office. But the quiet, competent person who just gets the job done and doesn't go around bragging about it, they are often the most dependable people in the organization. So build your alliances with those people and let the more popular folks go on bragging and writing about their achievements. Believe me, management will notice who gets the work done. In the many, many years that I've been in the workplace, I've come to learn that the more competent the manager, the more they hate the office suck-ups. Ask these very important questions. How can I help? Look for times when you can help out your coworkers or lend your expertise to a coworker who might need it. You might be thinking to yourself now, well, Dave, how can I be worried about helping my coworker when I have my own work to do? My response, really, honestly, you're always so busy that you can't spare a single second to help out your trusted coworkers? Well, if that's true, you are either way too worried about your next promotion or you need to figure out how to do your job a little bit more efficiently. Try to get a few cycles of time here and there so that you can help people out. People tend to remember those peers who help them out when crunch time comes. Bring solutions to pressing problems. It's important to be known as a good problem solver. Someone who always seems to have a good solution to vexing or difficult problems. Don't be shy in speaking up if you figured out a good way to fix something that's been plaguing others or offering a positive twist on difficult negotiations or a better way to implement a process. Just make sure that you've thought out possible objections to your proposed solutions. 
I attribute a lot of my success as a military officer and an IT professional in the simple fact that I have ability to come up with solutions to pressing problems and in a way that usually gets them implemented. Now, don't be overly concerned about who gets credit for coming up with a solution. I've seen people steal my ideas many times over my career, and I, I just don't sweat it. Why? Because these posers almost always get found out. It usually happens when they're being asked questions that they can't answer because the idea wasn't theirs in the first place. Be an encourager. Take a few minutes out of your day to lend a sympathetic ear to other problems that your coworkers might have. Now, you might not have any solutions, but it's important to show people that you're interested in what they're doing. When I was stationed in Columbus, Mississippi, I was the only military officer in my unit that could get things done with the local civilians that worked on the base. Well, why? Because I quickly learned that Southerners have quite a different notion about hospitality than those of us who are from the Midwest. Whenever I wanted to get things done with the local good old boys and the good old boy network, I normally had to give up about 10-15 minutes of my time talking to them about their dogs, about hunting, fishing, or wherever they were going to take their next vacation. Once people knew that I was really interested in them and what they were doing and I encouraged them, they were glad to help out. And it's something that most of my other Midwest officers never figured out. And that's simply this. People will be glad to help out when they know you care about them and go out of your way to encourage them and you see them much more than just another person at the workplace. Now, these are just some of the tips that I've learned about building alliances in the workplace. If you aspire to move up in your career, it's crucial that you learn how to build alliances. And the earlier that you learn how to do this, the better. So take some time to learn this early in your career. Then, when it comes time to step up and take a role as a team leader, a manager, or a leader, you'll find yourself well prepared for the task. You'll be well on your way toward becoming that seasoned, well-respected leader in the organization that everybody respects and admires.